Let's open our Bibles to John chapter 2 and also John chapter 20. John chapter 2 and John chapter 20. Now these will be in the form of lessons, teaching more than trying to preach a sermon. And they've been a blessing to me in the past and I trust that they will be to you. If you'll notice on your page that you have, it says eight miracles of John's gospel. And then the introduction, it says John's gospel tells us how we can be saved. This is the gospel. And John's epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, tells us how we know we are saved. So here in the gospel, John tells us how we can be saved. Then in his epistles, how we know that we're saved. And in this uh, gospel of John, we have more of the words of Jesus, and we have less of the works. John deals with the words of Jesus more than the works. Now, if you notice, our outline also says Matthew has 20 miracles, and Mark has 18 miracles, and Luke has 20, but in John there are only 8 miracles. And John's purpose is revealed, and you may turn to the 20th chapter now, we gave you that. John's purpose is revealed in John 20, verse 30 and 31. And this would be two good verses to keep in mind all the way through this study. And notice it says here, and many other signs. Now a sign is a miracle or a wonder. Many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But verse 31 says, but these are written. John says, these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So John states his overall purpose. By the way, that's his purpose of the gospel. But these signs that he mentions are the seven miracles before the cross. There's one after the the resurrection of Christ. So we really have eight miracles, but we have seven and one would be a better way to put it. Because of these seven miracles, this reveals the purpose of John in the plan of salvation. The seven before the cross. The eighth one is one after And it takes place after the resurrection of Christ. And it indicates something of a wonderful nature that we'll get into. uh, The miraculous draught of fishes. And that's in the 21st chapter of John. But just look at your outline there. And we'll try to to bring some things to our remembrance. Now, remember, uh, John says that these are written that you might believe on the name of the Son of God. And that believing... You might have life. You might have eternal life through His name. The word believe is mentioned over a hundred times in John's Gospel. And eternal life is mentioned over 35 times. So you can see that the the purpose of John is coming through all the way through is that believing over a hundred times and eternal life 35 times. So... The purpose that we mentioned, and you might write purpose, we've already, you have it on your outline, John's purpose is revealed in those two verses. So remember, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. Now then, the order of the miracles in John's gospel is very definite and shows a very definite purpose. The order of these miracles. Now remember that John chooses these miracles to show what we've just been talking about. How that you might be saved. If you look at your outline, and we'll just go over it briefly, and it tells you where the miracle is found. The first three miracles 
show us how to be saved. Now, we're going to deal with this first one, turning water into wine, if we get through this introduction in just a moment. So, these first three miracles show us how to be saved. The fourth miracle in the middle shows us the human instrumentality. Look at B on your outline. The human instrumentality in salvation, how that God uses us to bring the message. And then the last three miracles, that's C on your outline, shows us the results of salvation. Now then look back again at the first three. Turning water into wine, and it tells you where it's found. And out at the side it says, salvation through the word. That's what this miracle that we'll study tonight shows us. Salvation through the word. Then the second one, the healing of the nobleman's sons, nobleman's son, it shows us that salvation is through faith. And then the curing of the Bethesda paralytic, the man that was at the pool of Bethesda. And it shows us salvation by grace. So in these first three, what do you see? Salvation is through the Word of God. Salvation is by faith through the Word of God. And salvation is by grace through faith. And these lessons will be very definitely coming out when we study each of these miracles. So it just already up front, it gives you really what's going to take place. But we'll study the miracles in detail. We'll study each one of them in detail and show you how that it, that it reveals that salvation is through the Word. How it reveals salvation is through faith. How it reveals salvation is by grace. And then... So, doesn't that sum up how to be saved? We're saved through the Word of God. We're saved by faith in the Word of God. We're saved by grace through faith. And that really sums it up. It's very simple. It's not a complicated thing. But these miracles, John, you know, is one of the most simple Gospels, and yet the most sublime. He's very unique in everything that he says, apart from the other three Gospels. Uh, We said he's unique in the sense that he gives us more of the words and less of the works of Jesus. Remember, only eight total miracles in John, where you have 20 in Matthew. You can look at it again, and we'll be refreshing your memory to the outline. And 18 in Mark, and 20 in Luke, and yet only eight in John. So you can see he selected them for a very special purpose. Now then, the the fourth miracle shows us the human instrumentality, and we'll see in the feeding of the 5,000 that the the instruments were the uh, disciples and the little lad with five loaves and two fishes and so on. We'll see that all the everyone is instrumental in giving out the bread of life. The last three miracles, look under C on your outline, shows us the results of salvation. The walking over the Sea of Galilee, and when Jesus stills the storm, notice out there it says, Peace. Isn't the first result of salvation by faith that we have peace with God? And then the second one, down the giving of sight to the blind, we have light or sight, we begin to see the things of God. The third one under there is number seven. You see the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And that gives life. So what do we have as a result of salvation? We have peace, we have, we have sight or light, and we have life. That's a result of salvation. Peace with God. We have spiritual light. We begin to see things as God sees them. And we have life. Life eternal. And then we'll take that eighth miracle, which is after the resurrection, and it has a special meaning. But right now, I don't, I don't want to get into it. 
I want you to drop back at the up on your outline in Ma- where it says that Matthew has 20 miracles right under the second part there in the introduction. And notice it says three things. You follow, follow this. Three things about the miracles in John's Gospel. Notice these three things. He numbers the first two, so there's sequence. Let me show you how he numbers the first two. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 11, it says this, This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth His glory. And His disciples, look, how the theme comes through, His disciples, what, believed on Him? They were given for the purpose of what? Causing us to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and that believing you might have life through His name. These are very important. But it was a beginning of miracles. Now, if you'll turn over to the fourth chapter of John's Gospel and verse uh, 54, after the healing of the nobleman's son, it says, this is again the second miracle. You have chapter 4, verse 54. This is again the second miracle that Jesus did when He was come out of Judea into Galilee. So the second miracle is mentioned. The beginning of miracles was turning water into wine. That's chapter 2. The second miracle was the healing of the nobleman's son. So we said that these three miracles, on your outline, look, follow again what we said, that He numbers under number 1. You see number 1 under the uh, three things about the miracles in John's Gospel. Okay. He numbers the first two, so there's sequence. The second point under there says there is no duplication, so there is selection. See, some of the Gospels duplicate the miracles in certain instances. But here, there is selection. And then, there is one overall purpose. We already have stated the purpose. And what was that purpose? That believing you might have life through His name. We gave you that purpose. John 20, verse 30 and 31. So, there's one overall purpose. So, there's specialty. So, there's a sequence in John choosing these miracles. One right after the other. So, they come first, second, and then right on down. And then, there is a selection. He selected them for the purpose that he's got, that he revealed in John 20, verse 30 and 31. And also, there's specialty. They, therefore, that overall purpose of what? And many, listen, John 20, verse 30 and 31, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But listen, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. John states his purpose. Now, if we'll remember that purpose, and it should be, we should be reminded of it every time we study one of the miracles. Because He shows us how to be saved. He shows us the results of salvation. And in the middle of those seven miracles, He shows us that human instrumentality is a part of bringing the message of salvation to individuals. Now, with that much introduction, let's turn. And by the way, we we have a, a lot of other things on this outline. You can study it as you get home. There's some things you can follow right at the, the footnote at the bottom of the page that shows you what happens in each of these instances of these miracles. But right now, I would like for you to turn, if you will, 
to the second chapter of John's Gospel, and we'll study this one miracle of turning the water into wine. Turn the water into wine. Let's read beginning with verse 1. It says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. By the way, Jesus attending this wedding showed that he uh, sanctioned the marriage vows and the wedding that people should be joined together in, in holy matrimony. Jesus' presence indicates that he sanctions what is going on. And uh, if you remember, you know, God ordained that there should be marriage. There should be husband and wife. There should be family. It, it was the first institution God uh, brought upon this earth. And the second and the main one was the church. Two divinely established institutions. One is the home, the marriage, and the other is the church. And he compares them together in Ephesians chapter 5, if you remember. He uses husband and wife to picture the church in many respects. And his relationship to the church. And so, uh, Jesus, by the way, wouldn't it be wonderful if Jesus was included in more weddings than just a few? We'd have far better uh, unions of husbands and wives if, we, if Jesus was included in those uh, marriage uh, ceremonies. Now then, notice it says in verse 3, And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto them, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. These were large vessels. Uh, Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bear. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine, and when the men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. That's the purpose, wasn't it? Now then, how do we know this? What does this show us? We're just going to try to deal with some points that are to be considered here. This first miracle, we said, illustrates the plan of salvation. How a person is to be saved. And you might say, well, preacher, where does this come from? I want to point out several things. First of all, we have here people with nothing to drink. A thirsty multitude. It's symbolical of a thirsty multitude. And this... You know, the sinner is seen or designated and described in the Scripture in many ways. We see him sick. We see him paralyzed. We see him blind. We see him hungry. We see him dead and trespasses and sins. But here, his condition is described as thirsty. Because uh, the mother of Jesus says they have no wine. Now, we're not going to stop and argue about what kind of wine it was whether it was grape juice 
or where, whether it was fermented wine, that would be taking us away from the subject. There's enough scripture that tells us in the Bible not to take of, of wine so as to become drunk. And it tells us a purpose for it. It's used for medicinal purposes in some instances. It's used for a dying man in other instances. But on the other hand, the Bible does say that wine in general, wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. The Bible says, touch not the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. It says that the last it biteth like a serpent, it stingeth like an adder. We know the effects of, of uh, wine and mixed drink. We could give you Proverbs 20 verse 1. I think I quoted that one. Proverbs 26. Let me see. Proverbs 20, 23. And a whole passage of Scripture. That says, Who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babbling, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes, they that tear long at wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. At the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. And it goes on to tell various things as a result. There are purposes for it, and we won't go into that. But to be sidetracked as to what kind of wine it was would defeat our purpose in teaching the lesson. We know that there was a thirsty multitude, and they were seeking satisfaction. You know, the thirsty multitude seeks satisfaction everywhere besides from the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we have a thirsty world today that's seeking satisfaction. And they will not find it in the world. They'll find it in the things of God. And so anyway... Uh, the Bible teaches us several things about being thirsty. Jesus said in John 7, verse 27, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. So if you're thirsty, you need to come to Christ and drink. And then also in Isaiah 55, let me see if I can find it. Isaiah 55 and verse 1 and 2, it says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, Come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money. Come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and, and milk without money and without price. Then it goes on to say, Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? So people spend money trying to find satisfaction on everything but trusting the Lord and finding this water of life in Him. Remember later on when we study the woman of Samaria, not in one of the miracles, but you remember in the fourth chapter of John's Gospel, that Jesus said, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him, and what? It shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. So we find that we're satisfied only by drinking of the water that Jesus gives. That brings real satisfaction. Then we find something else. Uh, by the way, the last book in the Bible tells us to come and drink. In 22.17 of Revelation, it says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that hears say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come. Let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take freely. Take the water of life freely. Jesus gave that invitation in the last book, in the last several verses of the Bible. 
It's verse 17 in the whole book. It ends in verse 21. So he restated that the one that's thirsty to work, come to him and drink. So back to our second chapter of John's Gospel. We said that there was a thirsty multitude, and also there were water pots of stone. In verse 6 it says, And there were set there six water pots of stone. Now these water pots are symbol of the human heart. You know, man's heart is hardened by sin. We have stony hearts. And by the way, six is the number of man. There were set there six water pots of stone. The heart is compared to a stone. In the book of Ezekiel, 36 verse 26, 36 verse 26, I want you to listen to this verse. It says, A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart. Man's heart is like a heart of stone. God says, I will take away the stony heart and I will give you a heart of flesh. I'll give you a heart with feeling. The whole passage is good to read. Verse 25 says, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Will I cleanse you? A new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall keep my judgments and do them. So in the new birth, God gives us a different kind of us. Uh, of a vessel than a heart of stone. He gives us a heart of flesh. He gives us a new vessel. So back, hold your place always where we're studying in the uh, miracle here. So we find that these heart, these uh, water pots were not only uh, of stone, but there were symbols of the uh, human heart that is hardened by sin. The six is the number of man. The heart was compared to stone. We just gave you that reference. And they were also empty. These were empty water pots that were set before them. Jeremiah 2 verse 13 tells us that Israel of old had made themselves cisterns that could hold no water. You know, man has his own cisterns to try to provide drink from, but they hold no water. Let me read in Jeremiah 2, verse 13, he says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. You see, if we can't find the refreshment we need, we try to improvise. And they had turned away from God. If you notice that passage of Scripture, they had turned from God. Uh, Back in verse 11, it says, Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be ye desolate, saith the Lord. Very desolate. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. They forsook the real fountain of waters, and they hewed them out cisterns. They tried to provide it for themselves. They had plenty when they turned to the Lord, didn't they? But when they forsook the Lord... They tried to provide for themselves. And it's like empty vessels. And the human heart is like an empty vessel. It has to be filled with with the Spirit of God. It has to be filled with the things of God. My, how you and I need that inward filling 
day in and day out. Not only for salvation, but we need uh, the inward filling of the Holy Spirit. If you notice that passage in John that we read, that the thirsty was to come and drink, Jesus said, and He says, He that believeth on Me, that's John uh, 7 verse 37, I said 6, but 7 verse 37, I may have told you wrong a while ago, I'm not sure. But anyway, you can check it. But it is 7, verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Then it goes on to say, He that believeth on me, there's the word believe again, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So he spake of that Spirit in feeling that would come. Okay? Hold your place in John chapter 2. We find that water in the Scripture is not only for drinking purposes, and it's a symbol of, of the Holy Spirit that we just uh, mentioned to you, but that water is a symbolical also of washing and you can study this out and find that these water pots were really water pots that were used to fill water to wash the guests' feet as they came in. Doesn't mean it was dirty or anything like that, but it was water in there to be used and poured out into a, a, a vessel that was taken then. And it was a supply of water to wash uh, the feet of the uh, guests. And so it is for... Water does symbolize cleansing. Psalm 119, verse 9, and I won't, I'll just quote it to you. It says, Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereunto according to thy word? So cleansing comes from what? The word of God. Drinking comes from the word of God and also cleansing comes from the word of God. And if the sinner is to be cleansed, he has to uh, take the water of the word into his heart and soul and life and it will perform a cleansing effect. And in the gospel, not in the gospel, but in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, he speaks concerning the church that, uh, let me read in chapter 5, verse 25, 26, and 27. 25 says, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it that He might sanctify, now listen, and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. The washing of water by the Word. And it goes on to say that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So he speaks there of the washing of the water by the Word. So there's a cleansing power and effect of the water. Now then, the multitude was thirsty. And the servants at Jesus' command was to pour water into these vessels. And it became wine. Now notice. Verse 7, Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Who was He talking to? Verse 5, you have to read it. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever He saith unto you, do it. See verse 5? The servants were told to do what Jesus said. And down in verse 7, after the water pots in verse 6, it says in verse 7, Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. Now, it goes on to say, 
And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, after they had filled these water pots with water, it was made into wine. And it's said, we're not going to discuss what kind of wine. That was beside the point. It was that after the servants poured the water in, it became wine. A mysterious and miraculous translation and transformation took place. The servants didn't change it. They just poured the water in. If water is symbolical of the Word of God, and we're saved through the Word of God, your business and mine as servants of God is to pour the water of the Word into empty vessels, into the souls of men, into the hearts of men, into the hard, stony hearts, into those empty hearts, and Jesus will perform a mysterious miracle and change that into joy. Wine in the Bible is a symbol of joy. The joy of salvation will come. What's your business and mine to do? We cannot save an individual. You know, those servants could no more turn that water into wine than you and I could. We could not do that. Only Jesus can do that. But your business is mine is to keep pouring in the water into empty hearts, into thirsty souls. And that's our job. And then Jesus' business is to miraculously, mysteriously cause that soul to be born again, give them the salvation and the joy of salvation that comes through pouring the Word into their hearts. Lest you and I be about the business that God has for us to do. We're to pour in that Word. And there's no salvation apart from the Word of God. The Bible says that faith, salvation is by faith, right? The Bible says, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. That's why we have our Sunday school teachers that keep pouring into those little children, boys and girls, Sunday after Sunday, the Word of God. That's why we have uh, in our adult class, that's why we have the preaching of the Word. That's why we have missionaries. They're going out into foreign fields. They pour in that Word into empty souls, into earthen vessels, into empty hearts. In those hearts that are hearts of stone, that are hardened by sin. And they go out and they pour in that Word. And you and I need to ever be prayerfully about the Master's business and pouring in the water of God's Word so that people will hear and believe and be saved through the Word of God. I don't think I could overemphasize that. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word, listen, John 5, 24, He that heareth my word, and believeth on him that sent me, hath everlasting life, that they might have life through his name. See, that's the purpose, John 20, verse 30 and 31, the purpose of John's gospel. John 5, 24 says, Verily, verily, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth My word and believeth, there's the word believe, believeth on Him that sent Me, believe the Father has sent Him, believe on the Son of God. You cannot believe on the the Father without believing on the Son. Because it tells that in 1 John. Okay. Believeth on Him that sent Me, hath, that's present tense, hath right now upon believing everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death into life. So, you have to hear that Word to believe it. And Jesus said the servants were to pour that water into those empty vessels. This miracle teaches us this lesson, that salvation is through the Word of God. 
The Bible tells us, 1 Peter chapter 1, let me read this for you, verse 23. It says, being born again. How do you saved? How do you let that word come into your heart? What does the word of God have to do with your salvation? This is a very important reference. First Peter two, I mean, First Peter one, verse twenty-three. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Now, Jesus is the living word, but his word is life. He said, Jesus himself said in John's gospel, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. You know, sometimes we underestimate the power of this word. God has anointed this word. God has blessed this word. God has said it's his divine inspired uh, feelings and emotions. He says it's given by inspiration of God. God breathed. And there's more to it than just what you read in the form of letters and figures and words. It's living. Just as Jesus is living. The Word of God is alive. It's not like any other book, is it? Not at all. You can read the same words, maybe in a pamphlet or some similar words, and they don't have the life. But you read it in God's Word, and it has life. And... That's why we say that it says here, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. It says, for all flesh is as grass and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. Now look, and this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. The preachers, the teachers, every Christian, every witness you give, should be to the effect of pouring the Word of God into some heart that needs to receive that Word to bring life to them, to bring salvation to them. That verse we gave you about the joy, it says, you know, we know that wine here symbolizes joy. In Psalm 104, verse 15, it says, And wine that maketh glad the heart of man that maketh glad, and all to make his face to shine, and bread which strengtheneth man's heart. That's Psalm 104, verse 15. So the joy of salvation comes, the joy of salvation comes after the Word of God is poured into an empty heart. Jesus performs a mysterious but wonderful miracle of turning the water into wine. The joy of salvation And it is because of this miracle that it says his disciples believed on him. In verse 11, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. They believed. It was called called for the purpose of belief. Now, we know as disciples we're already saved. We're not saying that they were saved by this miracle. We're saying that the lesson that comes through Is what we've been trying to teach you. So the first thing of how to be saved is the Word of God. And you and I as servants are to be faithful in pouring that Word into hearts and souls and lives. The next miracle, and you'll see the absolute pinpointed difference when we come to the healing of the nobleman's son, that it's not only by the Word, but it's by absolute faith in the Word. Believing that God has spoken. So, the first one says we're saved by the Word of God. The second miracle that we'll study in our next lesson Wednesday night is that it's by faith in the Word of God. 
The healing of the nobleman's son. And you have the outline there. You can look the references up and read the passages of Scripture. Bring it back with you. And I wish that I'd trust, I hope, that you would bring someone else with you to hear. Because I believe that these messages, though simple and down to earth, they're just not like preaching a a full-fledged sermon or anything, but the teaching of them will really... By the time you get through, let me say this, by the time we get through studying all these miracles, you will know, you will be familiar in your minds and thoughts and hearts, all of the miracles of John's Gospel. Thank you very much. We'll stand.